We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Becoming an architect takes a long time. In Australia, a student has to spend a minimum of five years at university in order to get an architecture degree. During this time, students learn about the design process, the history and theories that have shaped the profession, and practical building techniques. After graduation, it still takes at least two years to get enough experience to become registered. Despite having all those years of study under their belt, architects need to continue educating themselves in order to keep up with the evolving built environment landscape. Not only do architects have to stay up to date with the core areas of competency, they also tailor their professional development towards the areas that they specialise in. With so many elements that architects need to understand from business through to detailing, it's an ongoing task for architects to keep their knowledge base current. I'm Daniel Moore, and in today's episode of Hearing Architecture, we've asked architects from around Australia how they continue to learn and develop their practices in their fast-evolving profession. Architecture is a multifaceted discipline. At university, it's usually divided into three core subjects – design, history and theory, and building technology. While these broad subjects give students an introduction to the way architecture is practised, there are more specific subjects that someone won't get to experience until they're working on a project that's going to be built. G for Greenaway shares how the learning doesn't stop for architects once they've got a degree in hand. An architecture degree is a long degree. It might take five years or six years or, or more if you extend it over part-time study. But once you complete your degree, the learning begins. You can't possibly know what you need to know in the profession without continuing your learning journey. And we often talk about compulsory professional development and it's a challenge often for profession, but the reality is our profession is predicated on lifelong learning. You continue to learn, every project is invariably different, there is no project which is identical. And regulations change, trends change, technology changes, so how do you keep pace with that? And the way you keep pace with it is to learn and to continue to learn and to evolve your thinking and to understand that you can't possibly know everything. And so topping up our skills and learning more and evolving and adapting and changing is part of what we do and it's something that we need to stay on top of. And that comes with the responsibility of being a professional and we have an expectation to protect the public and the way we do that is to de-risk it by having the knowledge and the skills and the capacities to meet those demands. So I've never had a real concern around this notion of you know, professional development. That is just part of what we do and need to do. And it takes many forms, whether it's you know, reading magazines and journal articles, going to conferences, listening to lectures, and immersing ourselves within the culture of the profession in which we're engaged with. And then obviously we can top up with additional formal skills and training, knowing that you know, technology is not going to stay st static. It's, it's certainly changing at a rapid rate. But as one starts to progress through the profession more, then your role changes as well. So therefore you need to 
build up the capacities in the, the change of one's responsibilities and roles within the profession. And so you might start off as very much a technician and, and you know, looking at documentation and so forth, but then you're starting to managing people, for instance. And a lot of what we do, even in our architecture degrees, doesn't talk to the business side of, uh, of a profession or running a practice or engaging and, you know, with staff and regulations relating to employment and all those sort of things. How do you learn about those things? You need to pick up the training and the skills to do that. And you know, professional development is, is core business of what architecture is about. That was Chief of Greenaway from Greenaway Architects based in Melbourne. Learning architecture comes in stages. The way an architect learns their craft is very different when they're a student compared to when they're practising. Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus reflect on their original influences and how over time their learning has shifted from the theoretical to the practical. I think particularly for us, growing up in Perth is kind of like the most isolated city in the world. Mm. And you start architecture, you get seduced by beautiful drawings from, you know, the AA files. And <laughs> just, you know, just I remember some of Peter Salter's hand sketches. Yes. And yeah. um, Hedjark and Peter Wilson. And and then you, you, you get enamoured by all the photographs as well and you know you, you can just see there's just so many images of projects and that sort of thing but i think now we've come to the point of being sort of 20 years after graduating probably would have we would say to our younger selves like it's actually really important to wrestle with the real thing and experience and look at things sort of three to five to ten years down the track and from a risk perspective, but also just as an enduring kind of architectural sort of collective. And then I think that Mm. then starts to inform a lot more of your work. Mm. So for us, we're kind of very much leaning towards the, you know, sort of the more crafted, enduring types of expressions of architecture, things that kind of age and have patina and probably things that don't photograph very well as well can, can be difficult because a lot of them are sort of compressed spatial experiences that are quite difficult to sort of photograph but that's <coughs> that's okay but it is interesting how you you get you get framed you know by those sorts of the images mm. clarity of drawings which are beautiful and they have a place but mm. i think for now it's just like more and more just wanting to see lots of things and i mean i think um probably for myself is been travel and well it's traveled quite extensively to see how sort of other people live and sit and cities perform and that sort of thing because i think perth's you know when this sort of as steve mentioned this sort of isolated hyper isolated sort of spot where two things it's, it's like we're incredibly privileged to have the landscape we have which is just pristine and and we kind of don't understand what we've got to you to you go to some of these communities that are more mature and dense and that sort of thing but also i think just to to really check yourself and understand that you know we're not the most important city in the world i think perth suffers from this this sort of overblown sense of self-importance which i don't know i mean maybe that's just me but i I just find that it's just you know we we, we're just so isolated and and really we have a lot to learn we have a lot to learn yeah yeah. draw on from 
from other yeah, experts. And, 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 yeah, and true. understanding that we're just another small grain in the, the bigger picture and, you know, or another number, you know. But the travel, I think, is really important to see other people's work and, again, see how other people live. So, if I, you know, I encourage young architects to travel and, or anyone really to just go out and have a look at the world and see where we sit in its place and understand that what we've got is pretty special, so let's just not ruin it. <laughs> That was Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus from Kappa, based in Perth. A lot of the work architecture students do is conceptual. They often don't need to meet the strict regulatory requirements that are in place for built projects. In Australia, there are so many regulations that the process of designing a building in practice is vastly different to the process that an architecture student goes through. Damien Madigan tells us how much can be learned by going through the architectural process on real built projects. I would like to think I'm evolving what I do through doing. Um, it's mm-hmm. the, the more you do, the more you evolve because no project is ever complete. It's impossible to have a, a, a fully complete project. And so you therefore learn on, on everything you do and you take that hopefully into the next project, which goes against some, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier about the architect's expertise and the architect's opinion mattering when we're not able to definitively rule out every problem in, in, a, in a building or a concept or a philosophy, it can then mean that we're a bit wishy-washy or our head is in the clouds because, mm. you know, we're, we're not able to solve a problem definitively most of the time. Yeah. But it's a discussion you can have with students and bring it back again to the university environment, um, mm-hmm. explaining to students that, look, You'll never be ready come assignment submission time. The deadline comes whether you're finished or not. So you've got to be as finished as you can be and have your thinking resolved as much as possible when that comes. And so, uh, again, I'd like to think I'm learning just through doing and thinking, yep, if I had my chances, I'd do that differently next time around. And hopefully you learn Mm. from that. And I, I think it's a large part of it is reading and understanding your field and always growing which is really hard because when you're stuck in practice or you're stuck in a project or a research project or whatever it is at some point you've just you've just got to produce you just have to do the stuff because the deadline's looming and and in practice you know you need to invoice it's really hard to find it can be really hard to find those times to absorb yourself in the field and understand Mm -hmm. what's going on outside your little world but if you don't do it you can be on a you know pretty miserable path, I think, to just being a, uh, someone who knocks out buildings in isolation mm-hmm. without being conscious mm-hmm. of what's going on around you. That was Damien Madigan from Madigan Architects, based in Adelaide. It's important for an architecture office to provide services that meet current needs. To stay in touch with any changes, most architects attend Continuing Professional Development, or CPD, regularly. Whether it's the latest software packages, business management techniques, or changes to the National Construction Code, architects need to know what's happening. Andrew Maynard shares his practice's policy for ongoing education and how connecting and learning from other professions could affect architects in the future. Uh, ongoing education, you know, it's, it's fundamental to I think, anybody. Like we're, just, we're just in this society and culture that's rapidly changing, mainly because of technology. Um, and it's very easy to fall behind. Uh, so professional development is fundamental. We've had to, here at our you know, small practice, we've implemented a professional development fund. Everybody gets a certain amount of money each year to spend on professional development. Since then, we've had to tweak it a little bit 
to try and encourage people to do the really boring things, not to just to go to cool tours and, and things like that, um, but to actually really pick subjects that are future focused and, and difficult, whether they be about you know, new technologies or servicing or even new ways of practicing architecture. You know, they can be pretty dull on a, on a Monday night, but they're important to go to. Uh, but if we don't, I think in any profession, uh, if we don't keep up with constantly educating ourselves, we're going to get left behind and, and be pretty redundant pretty quickly. Uh, and I think the future is one where almost the titles of um, the profession start to dissolve. We're, we're seeing now where there are schools of architecture that are now working with business schools and, and, and different schools within universities because they're seeing the, the way that architects are taught critical thinking is really important to the way that their professions are moving. Um, my son, who's in high school, is you know, actively being discouraged from thinking about a particular profession because their generation is likely to have about 14 different jobs and many of those will be overlapping in, what, in the fields that we've always thought were discrete. Um, you look at people within IT and they, they almost don't operate with a job description or they're just inventing new ones all the time because they're problem solvers dealing with new technology. So the future is about problem solving and architects for decades have been taught really great rigorous problem solving thinking. So I think we've got a lot to offer beyond the current scope that we're working in, but at the same time, the world's changing on us. So professional development is fundamental. That was Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects, based in Melbourne. Professional development for architects is a bit of a journey. In some states, there are mandatory requirements for architects to prove that they're learning relevant knowledge. Outside of these requirements, there are still alternative ways for architects to grow and develop. Sue Dugdale tells us about the varied experiences she's had that weren't always architecture-related. As a young architect, I was never very ambitious or strategic in the experiences I sought out. I wasn't seeking to learn at the feet of my heroes or anything like that. I had a vague philosophy of doing what seemed right in the moment, and sometimes that took me away from architecture for quite long periods. So for example, I, for a year I just worked on a building site. For a year I was part of a fashion co-op that designed and made and sold our own clothing. And then I had various random jobs for a while. I was making costumes for Circus Oz, things like that. But I'm not sure if they all led to anything or not, but they were fun at the time. So <laughs> whether they contributed to my architectural life is still a moot point. But now I've developed an interest in evolving and refining my understanding of architecture. And there's probably three ways I like to do this. So one is that I do like to think and write about my work. So I take up any opportunities I get to write talks or articles. Entering the architecture awards is good as you have to describe your projects and so that you have to verbalise what went on in a project and what the end result was. So it's a great opportunity for reflection and understanding the project. Now that I've done it a few times, I can start seeing common themes and tropes that I'm working with, which if I never went through that process, they would probably be left behind. There can be an element of post-rationalisation in this too. So you have to have your bullshit detector finely tuned and you have to stay honest about what you really were trying to do in the project and what it really achieved. Another way of evolving understanding about architecture and developing my sort of professional life is using other architects as a fabulous source of inspiration. 
and having positive relationships with other architects rather than competitive relationships with them gives me a sense of being part of a profession, part of a greater whole. So I do go to conferences and participate in the Institute and when I can I partner with other architecture firms to take on particular projects. And then the, the third way that I find really stimulating in terms of understanding architecture is to do teaching in an architecture course. And it's amazingly enriching and stimulating. You'd think that teaching, it's all giving, but um, quite the reverse. Interacting with people starting their lives as architects can be really stimulating and rewarding and gives you a chance to reflect on your own work. And then I think there's always things of value that can be offered, you know, understanding the struggle that students need to go through to start developing a process and that at the start of an architectural process, you generally cannot see the end goal or the outcome. And so getting young architects to understand that process and trust themselves and trust that they'll get there in the end. For in our um, office, one piece of professional development that we've got in the habit of doing is every year we close the office for a few days and we all go off to the national conference, wherever it is. Uh, which is a great thing to do because there's always a great mix of Australian and international presenters and then the people in the office and me get to spend time together that's not our kind of normal working day which can be very prosaic so we have more fun and get to know each other better and, and hopefully like each other better. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about what sort of other things can develop your architectural practice and I think often it's things outside architecture so you need to develop yourself as a person so spending time with non-architects in your life, your families obviously, but just whatever it is you do, playing sport, doing courses, going to the gym, other ways of interacting with people, just intersecting with other people's lives, having friends who aren't architects, I think is a great help in this. Being involved in other creative and technical things, whether you know you do welding in your backyard or you're a watercolorist or something, or you're a musician or something, I think engaging in other creative pursuits is always a really helpful thing. And I think also pursuing your personal values, which obviously you do in architecture, but I think there's other ways of doing that. For example, one of my colleagues is an active member of Fair Trade, and I think that no doubt informs her approach to architecture, and it rubs off on the other people in the office as well. So it's really nice hearing those values discussed and talked about. That was Sue Dugdale from Sue Dugdale & Associates, based in the Northern Territory. Sue mentioned that she worked with some builders, and this isn't uncommon for architects. Working on site is an experience that many experienced architects swear by. Peter Stutchbury is one of these architects. Here he shares his thoughts on what he thinks are the two most important ways to learn as an architect. I mean, I don't think you can go past site for learning about architecture and buildings and construction and people, you know. You ask anyone here what their favourite learning experience is and they'll all say on site. You know, they'd all be on site every day if I let them. I mean, I went to two of them today and I said, can you go to site tomorrow all day and help with the awning? And the guy that was working there was sick and the foreman will show you what to do and they just couldn't say yes quick enough. You know, and this is two architects with one, you know, one year experience, one with seven years experience. And they're just dying to go to site because they know how much they learn. 
and they learn it in a very tangible way. It's not in an intangible, untouchable way. You know, they see something at the end of the day that's finished and built. So that's that. I think is unquestionably the most powerful long-term learning experience. And then, second to that, is listening to someone of inspiration, someone that inspires you. You can't repeat that. You can't sort of underestimate the power of that. You can't predict it. You know, it just is what it is, and you just sort of your head spins. But it's not so much what they're saying, it's the fact that they said it and also that it just makes so much sense. How often do you talk to someone and what they say makes sense? Not like real sense, not just like, oh yeah, that's like two plus two equals four, I get that. But you know, they're talking philosophically or, or aesthetically or emotionally and you're going, yeah. How do you get there? You know? So that's another really important learning, but that's different from this one. And then I'd say the last one is, that's an inspirational learning. The last one would be the sort of teacher learning where you have a teacher and they are building upon their understanding of you. So every year I have a student and I I look at who they are and I try and infill the gaps and also allow them to, to blossom in their own particular way, me seeing what they need in order to do that. You know? So that's another really important way of learning. It's almost an undisclosed way of learning. That was Peter Stutchbury from Peter Stutchbury Architects based in Sydney. One of the best ways to learn is to have a great teacher. It doesn't matter what stage an architect is at in their career, great mentors have been guiding architects through their careers throughout history. Yvette Breitenbach shares her experience as a young architect without mentorship and the benefits of the relationship. I do wish that as a young architect I had thought of approaching someone to be my mentor. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that's where I studied or practiced. It just, maybe it was the era that I had the impression that one had to sort of know it all, or at least project that one had to know it all. And I certainly think that as women, or as a woman working in an era when there were very few other women working in architecture, Maybe there was an additional pressure to, to appear to cope or to cope. I think that getting, approaching someone as for a mentor, for mentorship is the most excellent way to, to go about ensuring one's development. And the interesting thing is on occasion when I have been in turn approached to be someone's mentor, I can't tell you what a delight it is. It really took me by surprise the first time to just have the opportunity to actually um, engage and um, share experiences. So that's something that we should all remember is that the person who we're approaching is usually only too pleased to share and they get a lot from it as well. For me, I suppose 
I probably still to this day haven't utilised mentorship as much as I could have, but indirectly taking on institute roles has actually allowed me to meet people outside of my usual ambit and I've been able to just ask questions about how they've gone about things in terms of practice on an aside when we've finished our institute work. So that's been one way in which I've actually really hugely benefited. That was Yvette Breitenbach from Morrison and Breitenbach Architects based in Hobart. Learning from others doesn't have to be through a mentor relationship. Some of the best architecture projects have been achieved through joint ventures between firms who respected each other's work. Joe Agius tells us about the importance of being challenged by the people that architects work with. You can grow by reflecting on your own experience. You can seek mentors. And I should say a mentor could be someone that's younger than you. And quite often that is a good thing to do. And I've done that. Um, obviously that you, you can obtain additional qualifications and engage in professional development. All of that's useful in terms of continual growth. But I think at the end of the day, it's important that you don't become complacent, that you're constantly in all of that um, challenging yourself with the work and the projects, that you seek to do things with a fresh eye and a fresh sensibility and that you don't um, fall into formulaic answers, um, you know, particularly as you progress through your career. So you need to be open, have an open mindset, welcome new ideas, welcome and indeed encourage challenging yourself or having other people challenge you. The other thing that I think is important is to work with other people so that might be, may be within the context of you know, a practice environment, but also working with other practices, particularly putting yourself in situations where you might be a bit uncomfortable, as in working with someone that might be challenging to your way of thinking. I think that keeps things fresh. Obviously, you need to be confident in that sort of arrangement, and you need to have, as I said, some sense of openness that was Joe Ajayas from Cox Architects, based in Sydney. From the outside, architecture looks like it's a job where people just make pretty drawings and models all day. In practice, a lot of time is dedicated to other things, such as project coordination, practice management and product research. For the managers of architecture firms, making sure a firm runs well sometimes takes far more time than the design side of their work. Amelia Borg tells us about her experience studying business, and Nicholas Braun shares how they learn from what other firms are able to achieve in the profession. Yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, I guess, as architects, it is critical that we keep expanding our knowledge of the discipline and also understanding how practice works. So I was lucky enough to receive the inaugural Steve Ashton Scholarship for the Architectural Profession. And through that opportunity, I'm undertaking an MBA at the Melbourne Business School. So I am definitely learning a complete uh, sort of new set of skills and using my brain in a totally different and new way, but coming at it from a completely other side of things. 
really unpacking, I guess, the business side of, of our practice and of architecture practice, I guess, in more general terms. You know, even sort of being able to have a handle in all different things like financial management and um, macro and microeconomics. And I guess like each of those subjects, mm-hmm. while they have no direct relationship to architecture, have really helped expand the way that we as a practice um, operate and think about things. I think another really important aspect of um, sort of seeing what is out there and what is actually being done around you is actually going out and visiting projects. Uh, Both Jane and I have been on um, the jury, jury members for uh, the Architecture Awards and I think that opportunity to go and see these projects in person that maybe you don't otherwise get to see is such an important aspect of being able to learn and see how other people kind of work with projects and where they've really excelled or perhaps where there are areas that for improvement as well but sort of taking advantage of tours or open house and those kinds of events I think is super important as well as all of the other kind of lectures and those kinds of things as well. That was Amelia Borg and Nicholas Braun from Sibling Architects based in Melbourne. With so much on offer for architects to learn about architecture, there's also a lot that can be learned about business. Some architects are now looking into alternative professions to learn skills that can give their practice an edge beyond what other firms are practicing. Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood tell us how they're stepping out of the architecture profession to develop as a practice. For me personally, I often get my biggest learnings when I step out of architecture as a discipline. I think everyone has it differently but certainly for me when I go and work and learn in other disciplines whether it's community engagement or teaching or something completely different then that's when I have my greatest learnings and I'll give you an example right now which is quite interesting I've just moved into trying to learn about small business in a digital age and understanding the variety of digital dashboards and services that can improve data analytics and performance for small business and so I've been reading about that and you know my mind is being blown and I'm really glad that I'm having that journey at the moment and it's really I will apply it to architecture as a business but it's not specifically to do with architecture. Good response Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head I think we become a lot uh, too self-absorbed or involved potentially sometimes in architecture because it's uh, such a focused discipline and sometimes it takes a step backwards outside of architecture to learn um, about other things that that you can then bring back in to change up or shake the the way you do things. I've just spent the last two years uh, off doing a, a Master of Landscape Architecture and while there were some similarities in the curriculum to learning architecture the focus was different and to learn about how that discipline is done in this day and age versus when I learned architecture over 20 well probably more okay let's be honest in the 80s (laughs) Um, was marvelous absolutely marvelous what I learned and um, what it did to change how I think, the ability to think critically about things and then bring that back to architecture as well. I just think the profession is changing so rapidly that if we stay inside our own profession it will disintegrate. It will naturally be absorbed by others and so to enable it to evolve and continue we need to step outside of it so that we can keep it alive. 
That was Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood from Pod, based in Cairns. Architects need to be multi-talented. Every project requires something special and four walls, a floor and a roof doesn't always qualify. Some architects have achieved greater claim in unrelated fields, which has informed their architecture work in some way down the track. Dick Jarman shares how his experience in film has informed his understanding of architecture. I studied architecture in the 1980s, of which was in Melbourne a big recession. Most of my friends were driving taxis, not working in firms. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a position at a firm from year one. But I wasn't particularly happy often in architecture in the 80s. I've mentioned before my hatred of postmodernism. And that led me to doing work for a friend in film. And what film gave me was this sense that design was valued. People watched film, THX, the audience is listening. There's, I sat in a theater one day and saw that and I thought, yes, are they, but are they listening to architecture? The only architecture discussion at parties was, did I like the housing commission flats or how someone's kitchen was done poorly by an architect? It was profession non grata. And so I enjoyed going to film to express myself. I could, and, and film seemed at that time much more willing to designing the sets for it to, to take chances than architecture was. Architecture's changed a lot since then, but it taught me a lot about how to create spaces because even though that they're artificial and on film, they certainly existed in some form and can be tested. And also there are other lessons that film gave me such as lighting and sequencing of space to tell a story. And all those things I took back to architecture. I was able to do the film design in the first place from the skills which I brought from architecture. So they were definitely informing each other. Um, I don't consider myself a filmmaker slash architect or the other way around. I, I don't feel the two are, are blendable in, in any real way. I feel that when I'm an architect, I'm an architect and when I'm a filmmaker, I'm a filmmaker and they inform each other, but I am not both. That was Dick Jarman from Circa Morris Nine Architects based in Hobart. Giving our time to multiple interests can be really beneficial. Without connecting to people with ideologically diverse views and experiences, architects can get stuck in an echo chamber. This is why working outside of architecture can inspire some creative outcomes. Lee Hillam tells us how important it is for architects to give some of their time to things outside of architecture. There's always more to learn. I mean, isn't that why we're all still doing it? I think, you know, when I, I used to teach first year a lot and first years are often a bit lost you know, especially when they get to about the sort of three quarters of the way through the year, they're thinking, what did I sign up for? And um, I would often say to them, look, you don't know where this degree is going to take you right now. And, and it, it does take people in some funny directions. But the, the, the thing you, you do know and that I feel really confident about is that you will be able to keep learning. You will be able to keep being stimulated by it because it will be endlessly challenging to you and you know even if you are doing one type of building for your entire career there's just a new set of clients to get to know there's a new site to get to understand and so you just constantly be learning my other really strident view that I believe is that architects shouldn't sell their soul to architecture they shouldn't they shouldn't just be architects and let the fact that their architects define who they are. Like they shouldn't 
their entire social life and their entire friendship group and you know you know so many people like this who just exist entirely in the world of architecture and that's what stimulates them and that's what they're really interested in but I think that if you work and play in architecture then you're cutting yourself off a little bit too much from the general world that you're supposed to be designing for and then there's then there's people who actually just do work really way too hard and way too many hours and they're doing it because perhaps they love it or perhaps they think they're going to you know get ahead in their career and after five years of working like a dog they're going to be able to rest a bit because they'll be at the top of the pile I mean that's a myth that's been proven to be not true so many times but my belief is that if you are living a kind of a dull life then you can only possibly produce dull buildings in ways that are couldn't possibly be connected to the people and the world that they're for. So I they think it's, while architecture is a very stimulating thing to be doing and a profession to be involved in, and I think is so diverse that, you know, you really can't, you could always find some part of it that would interest you. It's really important not to just become Lee the architect and that's all you that's all you are. You've got to have diversity in your life in order to understand diversity in the world, I think. That was Lee Hillam from Dun & Hillam Architects, based in Sydney. There are a lot of ways for architects to develop in their career. Some are formal through the Institute and others are informal presentations in small offices. But some of the most important professional and personal development can't be written down in a logbook. Jo Rees from Ajar Architects in Darwin shares her thoughts on the benefits of travelling and being involved in community groups, and she also tells us about some personal development that you don't get at the usual CPD sessions. Travel is one of the greatest things that you can do to broaden your mind, getting out of your comfort zone. Now, so that's whether it's travelling to a far-flung place in Australia with a swag and a beaten-up ute, or going overseas, it doesn't really matter. The thing is to get out of your comfort zone, go and experience different climates, different cultures, different spaces, and nature. I think that is the greatest thing that you can do continually throughout your architectural time studying and practicing. I also think it's really important once you finish studying, because that is such an intensive period, to get off the couch often and get involved with the local architectural community and different groups, not just the architectural community, but sign up to do public speaking in some way because it makes you read more and grow more. It really puts you under pressure. Whereas if you just go and listen all the time, it does help you to expand your ideas, but not nearly so much as getting involved in speaking. And I think it's really important that the younger generation of architects speak because their ideas are really important and not heard often. And sometimes you feel like what you've got to say isn't important, but it really is. It makes a big difference. So I think that diversity of experience and creativity expand the mind and that's what we need. I also think having brought yoga into my life has made the biggest difference for me because it really helps to clear my mind and to have patience with myself and other people and understand and think about things more deeply in a way that no other activity has. So that's what I would say to my younger self. 
start doing yoga at the earliest possible opportunity. <laughs> because yoga is not just about the body, it's mostly about the mind. And you have to do it for a long time before you understand that. So start early. <laughs> I think the, the difference with activities that encourage you to shut your mind down a bit more help enormously in the same way as you know having a few drinks does to kind of loosen up shake off the stress so shaking off the stress by going for a run or a walk or a bike ride is really helpful but I, for, personally i've found yoga the most helpful should have started many years ago <laughs> This has been episode 10 of Hearing Architecture. Thank you so much for listening. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. This episode of Hearing Architecture featured the following guests. Jeeva Greenaway, Justin Carrier, Stephen Posmus, Damien Madigan, Andrew Maynard, Sue Dugdale, Peter Stutchbury, Yvette Breitenbach, Joe Agius, Amelia Borg, Nicholas Braun, Shanine Fanton, Belinda Orwood, Dick Jarman, Lee Hillam and Joe Rees. The interviews in this episode were produced around Australia by Imagine Committee members. Jamila Jahangiri, Daniel Hall, Kirsty Voles, Callie Marnane, Chris Morley, Sam McQueenie, Reese Curry, Brad Weatherall, Jess Beaver, Bede Taylor, Rebecca Webster and Daniel Moore. The Australian Institute of Architects production team was Daniela Crawley, Stacey Rodder, Monique Woodward and Tom McKenzie. Produced by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.